a bonus experience. <laughs> Hi, Mage fans. This is your host, Terry Robinson, with Mage the Podcast. And joining me today for the second installment of Mechanics Workshop, our noted game designer and developer by whose largesse we all are still allowed to play games, Danielle Lauzon and Monica Specka from Bonus Experience. D, how you doing? I'm doing okay. Monica, how you doing? I like that I'm my largesse, my generosity, and fiscal <laughs> <laughs> fiscal contributions are not the thing that is propping up the the, uh, <laughs> the tabletop gaming industry, which is true. They're not. I'm, I don't have a lot of money. M- mine aren't either, but I liked that you said that. <laughs> I try to be. One of my favorite little powers in Invisible Sun is the apex power you get as someone who can summon de- demons is you can in- tell them to glorify you, which basically forces a very powerful demon to be your hype man for a day. Oh, um, fantastic. It is the best stupid power I've ever seen. <laughs> Where like you have this egregore of violence that is like, may I present to you ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I never knew I wanted that in the game until until I found that. Same thing with the, the top level power for Is Adored by the Sea, where you have the ability to summon a boat anywhere that can go anywhere. You're in the middle of a dungeon and you're like, do you know I what time it is? This, fuck this shit o'clock. Fuck this, I'm out. <laughs> and just this boat made of coral just like, it's like, eh, eh, the SS plot bus needs to get out of the way <laughs> and just takes you wherever the hell you want to go. That's yeah. funny. Anyway, to actually answer your question, I'm great. It's Friday. I'm happy because it's Friday. So the contrivance so far of the Mechanics Workshop episodes are, I have a weird idea, and then I talk to people who are vastly better at game design than me, and they say, they're there, and then they pat my head gently like a small child that attempted to bake something for the first time, but you look what's in the bowl, and it's just salt and Play-Doh. Like, it is... (laughs) It is the affectation of cooking without any of the actual parameters of it. It is like a cargo cult of game design. <laughs> this um, is like when I made pickles based on Monica's recipe. Air quotes recipe. <laughs> she just told me to add salt to the brine until I felt uncomfortable. <laughs> we have two very different definitions of uncomfortable. I'm used to salting like crawfish boils. <laughs> Yeah, it was like, I put in, I, when I use a very small amount of brine, because I usually am using like smaller pickle jars, and it, I like put the amount I would put in to make pasta in that amount, and then a little bit more to the point where like, if it were noodles, I would be like, this is too much salt. But you were like, I could see it evaporating. And I was like, you did a science experiment. <laughs> that like, as the water was boiling, the salt was like, like precipitating out. Did you <laughs> did you have like a pickle vision quest from the vapors coming off of this? <laughs> I thought, yes, this is going to be so good. Like I've got the brine and I've got all the spices and I've got everything in the jar. And then the next day I took out a pickle and I put it in my mouth and I was just like that pucker face you made. <laughs> I was like, this is too salty. <laughs> Unfortunately, I make pickles by not measuring they're all based on like vibes i read i read a recipe once went i don't need that anymore memorized the process and then cook by the ancestors i should have just looked up a recipe yeah but I you was probably like, should, i probably Monica's, should have sent you a link yeah to monica's pickles with. were so good and i was just like i want monica's recipe for pickles because i want to make mine so good and it was You were like, how do you make them so good? And I was like, instinct, mostly. Yeah. (laughs) My instincts were wrong. And I did, in fact, tell you accurately the way in which I eyeball everything. It's just that that's subjective. Yes. (laughs) Where I'm on the other end, where I will have a recipe that says, sprinkle the top with just a little bit of sugar to finish the cookies. And then there'll be an aside where it's like, just enough is defined as 1.24 grams at sea level or something like that. So yeah. (laughs) The mechanic I would like to pitch is what I am calling 
directives. Danielle worked on Technocracy Reloaded, which was a book Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. Mage the Ascension 20th Anniversary Edition. And it gives us a very deep peek into a bunch of different aspects of the operation of the technocracy, which uh, Love Them or Hate Them is an organization within the game that is a highly mission-driven, hierarchical, and directive-based. Normally in the world of darkness, you don't get to tell someone what to do without kind of the threat of violence. When the prince tells you to do something in Vampire, you do it or you deal with the wrath of the prince. When your death lord in Wraith tells you to do something, you do it or you get turned into an obeloy or something like that. But there are some areas in these games where there is something like a mission structure, where it's your job in some way, shape, or form to do the thing. The problem, though, is it's the world of darkness. If it were just you get a job and then you do the job as listed, that would probably be closer to, I'd say, a Trinity thing where it's more kind of a competence porn thing. Frequently, though, the jobs you're being given are deadly or wrong or vague. And I want to introduce a mechanic that basically says, what does that initial conversation look like when someone says, I need you to, I'll give an example. Within Mage the Ascension, there's a convention in technocracy called the New World Order. Mm -hmm. A a reductive way to think about them would be the thought police. Their goal is to look at the idea space that mortals, people who can't do magic, are looking at and prune out dangerous ideas. Either they've done the research and they know this goes somewhere, or that idea is actually a stalking horse for the Nefandi or Infernalists or something like that. You get a directive that says... This paper, we think this professor at this college is going to publish this paper that is going to spread like wildfire. And you know who's going to love that paper? Neo-Nazis. You know who we don't want to have access to that paper? Neo-Nazis. So you need to stop that from happening. And maybe the initial directive is you have a week to destroy this professor and we are defining destroy as kill. But then again, it's a World of Darkness game. All your characters are very competent and capable. I want to have some way of saying, not necessarily no, because rarely can you completely say no, but you can kind of change the parameters. And this is important for two reasons. There is this weird interpretation in the world of darkness that it is fundamentally libertarian because all amalgamations of people are viewed with suspicion. There are no organizations in the games that by default are good guys that it's it's kind of all about you as the individual kind of changing the world. And when someone mentioned that to me, my head nearly popped off, but I can't prove them wrong. And those are the most annoying kind of argument. Um, <laughs> an ice cream sundae is soup. So it does two things. One, I wanted to have a way to have that back and forth because I think it tells us something about the organization giving the directive and it allows your group to kind of probe it because on one level there's what the organization wants you to do and on another level is what are the personal agendas of the people involved in this and how do they want things to turn out. The other problem is you get into some really weird mechanical places if you don't already have a framework One of my big theories in gaming is the most dangerous character is not the combat wombat, the person who has 19 dots in the sphere of gun and was taught like gun foo from the gun quando masters of the plane of gun. It's the face. Like the person who has charisma four persuasion five can do way more damage to a game than the person who has dexterity four firearms five, in my opinion, because in a social situation, you can just shove the face in front and they do their thing. But in combat, you can't do that. Everyone has to do something, even if they do a crappy job at it. But rarely in a conversation are people like, well, why isn't every character saying something to the person that you're trying to convince at the same time? Because that would be ridiculous. So I thought this was a case where the traditional trait plus trait rules would not work out. Does that kind of setup make sense to have some sort of mini game or mechanic or framework that says, you got this thing, let's do some discovery of your organization, let's model or look at or role play through what the back and forth looks like to come to a final agreement on what the next chapter of this game is going to look like. So you're asking about, let's basically like, let's design a mechanic for being given a mission. Yes. Kind of. Okay. Then yes. Yeah, but not just get the mission, but like negotiate a mm-hmm. mission where it, it is it is a situation where you're allowed to push back on what you've been told to do. Yeah, and, and to me, the parameters are something like who made the request, 
How quickly do they need it done? What restrictions are there on what you can do? As in, no one can know that you did this. How quietly does it need to be done? Or alternatively, in in mage terms, you can't use procedures. You can only use adjustments. You can only use subtle magic. You can't summon lightning from space or something like that. And then finally, like how extreme is the outcome? And those are kind of the variables that I see. Like a number of games have a score system where all of those things are outlined. I guess another thing would be, what do you get if you do a good job? Uh, like what's what's the payout, if anything? And those are kind of my parameters. Do you think it, there's anything else that a storyteller who wants to come up with one of these directives should probably have in mind for that initial conversation with a person and their mission giver? The big thinking pause there for a sec. Yeah, like big and, brain and, thinking. And, yeah, and like, oh, was it man. you who was taking a sip on your water bottle? It was very fun. I'm trying to think of how to scope this while the background process of my brain is like, how do I read this documentation? <laughs> I, uh, I mean, the first thing you have to do is cover yourself in Cheeto dust and then lie on the couch and then let the precot. Yeah. Um, All right. Hang on. <laughs> I'm going to be a little bit of a weirdo here. We were just invited to coat ourselves in Cheeto dust. But I think you're in the right place. <laughs> okay. So <clears throat> this is just informing my ideas on this. This is not the, the exact thing. But we did, in first edition Requiem, towards the end, we did kind of like a social combat system. Okay. And then we revisited that social combat second uh, in second edition in the form of what we call lingua bellum, which is, you know, fancy. The language of for, war? Yeah, pretty much. Essentially, it is a, uh, it's a bunch of social exchanges where you're trying, it's essentially glorified debate okay and that's not what you're asking about but i think some of the ideas about it kind of fit because you have to think about like you're doing a persuasive action and everybody is engaged in this persuasive action mm -hmm. including the person that you're trying to persuade mm -hmm. because they are trying to persuade you to do what they want you to do without any like, do this thing exactly how I said it. And you go, but what about doing it this way? Because this is what I want to get out of it. The haggle, right? I'm looking at this and I'm thinking like, ah, oh, there's, there's stuff about like an audience. And there's not really an audience in this situation. But it does bring up some interesting things. Like, for instance, looking over it, you have the idea of dominance. Like, what is the power differential between the mm -hmm. groups? Guile, how good are you at negotiating, dodging, and dealing with what the other person says? And probably my favorite ego um, yes. which is kind of either what protects you or alternatively you could kind of view it as a as a health pool if you wanted to right kind of the the other important thing to me that i like thinking of the vampire and is this is not necessarily a straightforward syndicate negotiation there is a sense of self in with this if you're mm -hmm. a gray suit with the nwo and you're telling a bunch of black suits to do something if they're like nah -uh, that's gonna hurt like wait these people below me are saying nah -uh to this so there is that element to it and all of these groups at least in in some way i also kind of want to reflect the idea that one of the things that i always wanted people to have the ability to do is say this is not who we are which is a mm -hmm. super powerful thing when it is effective so you have a corrupt or uh, police organization and you're like our job is to serve and protect this isn't who we are this string of violence that we have been delivering upon our own citizens is wrong. And there's two right. responses that you can have to that kind of. One is, oh shit, you're right. The other is, you are a heretic or an apostate and you must be destroyed. And I feel like that also needs to be reflected. But again, this is just kind of a, we're, we're, we're panning out the idea space, but I like this. So what, what book did that come out in? This came out in Guide to the Night. Okay, nice. I will include okay. a link in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, is that like the VTR like player's guide? It is one part player's guide, one part story guide, storyteller guide. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, I've been in doing story path too much. <laughs> <laughs> Storytelling guide path. So I want to know, like, what problem have you been having that led you to to, to, to this? The, the problem I am having is I think there are a lot of organizational dynamics that this would elucidate. 
where it would be, okay, you think the technocracy is this monolithic organization, or you think that the Gelidian that leads the Nephondic labyrinth is the be-all, end-all of things. But if you say in the terms that Danielle had laid out with the lingua bellum, this person has a dominance of seven and an ego of five, where this person has a dominance of four and an ego of 10, that tells you a lot of information that you as characters in the game would know, but you as players do don't. It is frequently hard to assess the degree to which, is this person a canny operator? Do they represent the full faith of the union? Is this person obviously trying to do this for their own personal gain? And to try and suss that all out in a actual role-playing scene can take an entire session. So anything that will abstract that a little bit, I think can vastly improve the sense of immersion and the ability for players to understand what their characters are thinking. The other thing is, I think having this as a starting mechanic clearly outlines a gameplay loop of some sort. So for instance, for technocracy games, you could, with a little bit of jiggling, and these are all mechanics that don't previously exist in the world of darkness, so I'm not going to be like, why weren't these in technocracy reloaded would be okay you have the directive that you receive you execute the mission you report back you have downtime and then you kind of have the b plot where you deal with the machinations inside of your amalgam or dealing with other agents or talking to your family or something like that and that creates a nice tight little play cycle that allows players to get more comfortable with what you're doing and also gives the storyteller a starting point to subvert to be like, hey, we had three sessions where we did these missions, we fought the bad guy, but now this weird thing is happening where we're getting more and more cryptic directives, or it is harder to influence them, or whatever, the thing that you want to make weird. So to me, I think a little bit of structure can help signpost to players, this is how this play is going to go, at least for now, and it kind of keeps everyone honest where we went through the directive thing. Terry has never co-opted the directive process. If we do the thing, we know our characters are going to get that extra dot of requisitions. I really want that. I want to play with more f- cool guns or I want magic cocaine or whatever. And <laughs> <laughs> so I am not positing a problem per se, but a potential avenue to give a little bit more structure in a way that I think would be fun for a group to go through. Kind of the three frameworks I thought of to do this is one, the engagement role, which is a mechanic that we get from Blades in the Dark, where instead of rolling to see what you do next, you roll to see how what you did turned out. You look at the success of that role and you say, well, we succeeded. What did we succeed on? As opposed to saying, okay, we're going to break into the museum by uh, all three of us going into a very large trench coat to go into the exceptionally tall person exhibit or something like that, you just roll the engagement roll and you say, okay, we got a success. How did we get in? And then you can come up with whatever. So it it is a case where the success and the mechanism are not tied to each other. And the way building that engagement roll works is you start out with one die, just because you always get one die, and then you add or remove them. If the adventure is daring, you add a die. If you're going up against significantly more skilled foes than you, you remove a die. If you had a particularly poissant idea of how to do the engagement, you add a die. So there's a whole bunch of ways to add or remove it. So for instance, in this case, you would do something with, okay, you're difficult. You need to get two successes against difficulty seven or something like that. Let's just fix a target number. You start with one die. You get another die if you have a subject matter expert on the topic. Okay. Dee's character has a bunch of extensive academic contacts with the university that this professor who we need to kill or stop in some way is at. You get another die. We're coming off of a very successful previous mission. That means we're in a better situation to negotiate. We get another die. We lose a die because Monica's character is on the outs and has a particular animus or is hated by this person who is giving us. Remove that die. Okay, we have three dice. Roll, roll, roll. Boom. We got two successes. Okay, we get to change one of these parameters. And then you role play that where you say, hey, I think this outcome is too extreme. And you know, you know the storyteller character is going to agree with you. So then you, ro- you roll and then you role play. Whenever there's a pool building thing, like the engagement role is one of the things that I think is iffy about Blades in the Dark. Oh, I love pool building exercises. I think they're super fun. Yeah, I think you just got to be too careful enough to not make it feel like shit. Like if there's too many bad things stacked up against you, it's like, cool, we have zero dice. And there would be something where it can never go below one or it would it would kind of set that difficulty. I like it because it's something the whole group can get in on. So for instance, you would have something where 
one of the dice would be, does anyone in the group have a background with a rating of three or more that could help us? And now the thing I always hate is, as I mentioned with the face, one person being able to dominate that interaction. I really want something that kind of brings the team together. So that would be my thought there. I don't particularly know that a social character dominating a, a, a negotiation needs to be fixed with another subsystem, but that's the point of this episode, so I guess we'll solve it. Yeah, so, so more accurately, <laughs> it abstracts that 30-minute back and forth to we do this pool-building exercise, and then the face gets to be the person who delivers the persuasive thing in five minutes, and then the thing gets to start. But everyone gets to know that their character helped. I think that's a good idea, yeah. generally. Kind of the second one is social combat, where kind of in the same way that fate, you can represent anything with a bunch of health boxes. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You can just say, okay, this is a particularly uh, hard objective. It has this many health boxes. What do you want to do? And then you would have essentially a set of social combat maneuvers that you could invoke. And one of them would be, again, it would be kind of those same things that came in the engagement role where you would get to be, say something like, Monica's character is an admitted expert. So the fact that your character says that this is going to be exceptionally hard makes the director, the person who gave you the job, more likely to go, oh, maybe we did misestimate this. The neat thing that happens there is you more or less can keep going until you fail a certain number of these roles or what have you, or you hit some other criteria, like every character gets to roll twice or something like that. The other thing that falls out the other end of it is if you have a botch, you gain suspicion where people mm. are like, why, why aren't you doing this job? Or alternatively, it's a pressure luck thing where every time you fail one of these roles, you get an additional point of suspicion. And if if the suspicion level gets to a certain thing or alternatively the suspicion die uh, get added to the rolls to resist and if you get two zeros on the suspicion die a la the bestial successes in v5 the person says shut up and do your damn job or something like this i'm placing all of you under administrative watch for the next whatever so that's a thought there and the the key is that i don't want everyone to use social traits for everything like it feels weird that you would have a bunch of characters using charisma and persuasion plus empathy or what have you to kind of influence it so I, mm -hmm. one of my questions would be how do we vary that up a little bit but my second thing is kind of that social combat thing the problem i run into with social combat is that is a level of abstraction a lot of players don't quite get like so when you say something like I'm going to counter his trenchant point with a confusing non sequitur. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> I think that is something that someone with some experience or some improv skill could do. But I think people who are used to traditional combat, I think that leap of abstraction is hard to follow. So what do you think about that kind of social combat maneuver set thing? Well, okay. First off, I'm going to jump back to several points in the things you said, and that one of them is that I would not include any botch mechanics, especially not ones that make people s suspicious of PCs. Mm -hmm. When they one when they are not doing things suspiciously, but two not with World of Darkness's dice math, because then you'll have them do something that's not suspicious at all because of the way the fucked up dice math in World of Darkness works. They'll botch on a very successful pile of dice, and then everyone will be like, "Why are you doing this thing oh. we told you to do?" <laughs> right? <laughs> 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 Just to note, in M20, as botches lay, you need to get no successes and have some ones. So there there are some cases where you have very small dice pools where more dice will make you more likely to botch, but that you are less likely to fail. Okay. So, so the, the only It's only no successes and ones like it is in Exalted. Yeah. And, yeah, okay. As the, the, also, the phrase social combat sets off something in the back of my mind because I lived through Exalted 2nd Edition where those <laughs> rules were specifically called that. Um, and they weren't bad rules, but I just calling it that instead of just like interaction or whatever makes me activate something in my brain in a bad way. And also the worst part about X2's so social combat rules was that like if you, the best way to end a social encounter was to just hit someone because the, by the rules was like if it if it went into re regular combat the social interaction was over. <laughs> I <laughs> 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 you 
could no longer use your social stuff. If, if regular combat got in, initiated, that was over. That social scene was over. So, like, you would have someone trying to, like, the face trying to do stuff, and then, you know, your fighty character get fed up with it and just kick the other person in the dick, and then and then the social scene was over. <laughs> I, I do like the idea of having a mechanic where irreducibly every one of these negotiations ends with standoff, where it's just a whole bunch of hypertech blasters drawn on each other, and then you fade to the next scene or something. Amazing. Yeah, I personally, so social combat, not calling it combat, but like social interaction, social mechanics that are more hefty than just you make a single roll, you pass or fail. I hate that, especially because there are deep negotiations and conflict and things that can happen in like an argument that you don't mimic with well you got your point across and now these people agree with you like no that's just not how conversations with people work so i do like the idea of having some kind of like you have a health pool maybe it's your integrity maybe it's your willpower i'm not saying like not as in game terms but like your your steadfastness of you know sticking to what you believe in that somebody else is trying to wear down and you're both trying to wear each other down on this whatever the subject is so maybe it's negotiating the the directive you're about to go on you take actions just like you would in combat so everybody takes an action in the round making a point. I think there should be some cool interrupt other people's action rules because people butt into conversation, like interrupt other people in the middle of conversations to like simulate the way you can just be like, I'm going to cut you off in the middle of your conversational topic and take back over the focus because I'm a dick. Uh, (laughs) And so I think, you know, you could have some cool interrupt powers. You could have, you know, some swaying the other person, you know, making an emotional plea, using a logical fallacy, doing all sorts of things that you, you know, would normally do in a normal conversation. I think you could just like set dice pools for, you know, these social actions and have people metaphorically beat on each other (laughs) until either somebody yields or they run out of whatever their health stat is, just like it were a combat. The third one I have, and this is kind of the vaguest, so I may need more assistance kind of like getting this over the finish line. The last one is kind of more of a world-building exercise than anything else, that it would be a very defined set of moves. You would get to use each one once, and either you would accumulate successes or you would add to a engagement style dice pool. But basically the idea would be, you know, games where you have questions as mechanics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so one thing would be introduce a fact about your relationship with your director that has not been previously established. So for instance, you could say, oh, you started the at the academy together, but this person got promoted above you or something like that. Or you covered sure. for one of their, their cock-ups and that allowed them to get the advance. Remind them of that in a way that will not make them feel adversarial or something like that and change one of these parameters down a level. Or for every two of these you do, you get to adjust one of these parameters and suddenly you need to do this within 48 hours becomes you need to do this in a week. Or alternatively, what went from you have to kill this guy to you need need to just make sure that they never that this paper never gets published another one could be mention how your organization your group like your little band of characters solved a problem in a non-traditional way to show that you work best outside the constraints of the system but always have the best ideals of the organization at heart and you get to say hey do you remember the madrid incident where we solved it using a whole bunch of martini glasses and leading everyone in a rousing version of the bluey theme song or something and the person's like yeah 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 so basically kind of an opportunity to just kind of throw facts into the hopper of the game the thing i don't know how to do with that is 
I don't know how to kind of make it a blend of upside downside. Like theoretically you would want to, if you introduce a reason why this person is positively disposed towards you, there's really no downside to that. You've just through fiat, you've got to explain it. So I'm wondering, is there a way to say, introduce a reason why this person is unlikely to trust you, but that gives you dice towards a thing. So uh, if that makes sense. I love those kind of things personally. One of the reasons why I like magpie games, all of magpie games, well, all the ones I've played, which is not all of them, but a lot of them have leading questions, Mm -hmm. especially during character creation, Mm -hmm. but also sometimes like setting up scenes or things like that. And these leading questions are very specific Mm -hmm. in the sense that it's like one time you and another person got into a fight with a group of people and you had to be rescued. Who were you in that fight with and who was the group of people? I love questions like that. They're right. They're hard to write. They're hard to write well. (laughs) But I think that if you had a list of leading questions in in this like mini game so if the whole mini game was just a bunch of leading questions you picked which ones you wanted to answer and you could always make them like you and one other person in the scene did x together but it's like this positive thing happened from it and a negative thing happened from it so one thing I am thinking of would be something that says, hey, boss, we have an amazing track record of bending the rules slightly and it turning out the way you want. And then the, the card is written up with something like, give an example of where you bent the rules and everyone was made better off, comma, the cost of failure for this directive is now doubled or something like that. Or sure. if, if you fail, you will lose status with your director who is sticking their neck out for you. Yeah. Or alternatively, something like explain why you have a personal connection to the target, which should allow you more freedom in doing this, comma, explain how this will be a complication during the mission. Or alternatively, that's something the storyteller gets to keep in their back pocket where you say something like, I know this author, I'm familiar with their work, I think you should let me handle this. Turns out your Android character and this intelligentsia author dated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you have absolutely <laughs> no way of maintaining cover or something like that. The world building part is easy. The world building, I don't want to do the thing where I falsely don't call this a mechanic. The change of fortune that comes out the other side to me is the part I don't quite know how to do. Right, because it's it's you're talking about making it affect it based on what it is you say which means that every unique instance of I did, you know, this is what I brought up gets a unique negative drawback. Or, or some complication that comes out of it. I, I, am, sure. I am also fine with the fully abstracted result. So for instance, you have an idea that this is Terry Robinson's five-part hierarchy of botches and, and step <laughs> one in the, in, the, in the hierarchy of botches is one, you tried to do a thing, but you personally failed. A terrible result due to your incompetence. This is the one where you try and give the speech, you botch, and you shit your pants. And that is funny precisely once. Yes. And sometimes sometimes not funny at all, yes. depending on how it's delivered. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you have a level two botch, which is a terrible result due to happenstance. You try and give this rousing speech, the microphone fails. Nothing to do with you. Third, a terrible result related to what you're doing, which is you try and give this speech, the cops raid. Fourth is a terrible result, and then something in the scene actively happens. One of your related characters just gets terrible news about something else that is happening. Like, the botch and the outcome are now very kind of separate, and then the final one is a terrible result that will happen sometimes during the chapter. You now have the Sword of Damocles, this lingering thing that's like, there's a botch in the botch pool. The storyteller gets to spend it at some point. So for an engagement, I like the last one the best. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, especially if you're like, one, I'm like, I've never had a problem with getting people to buy in and I've never really had a problem with a social character overrunning being told what to do because like, that's what social characters do. Right. Yeah, this has not ever been a problem for me, but I like the idea of making an engagement role like Blades in the Dark style and Mage is a nice pool game, so it lends itself well to that. And like a well-curated list of like, here's the advantages we have, here's some drawbacks we may have. 
could be really fucking cool as long as you know it's designed with the the intent that like at least you know, i think in order to this for this to not be a total flop you need to make sure that the pool doesn't go smaller than three not mm. smaller than one yeah because three will get you one success right you most of the time most of the time barring any other me. manipulation <laughs> right uh, well <laughs> we're, we're only talking about averages not people's inability to generate successes in the face of mathematics <laughs> just as a note though mage does use both a shifting difficulty as in the number of successes as well as yep. a shifting target number so that yes. that is something that we can kind of dick around with but so monica can you can you walk my answer stands oh well that's the thing I, i'm trying to walk through it so we get the directive i say we as players we look over the list and we get to pick three or four questions that we want to do. Is it the case that I chose, give a prior example of exceptional competence, and I say, hey, uh, remember you had to prevent the assassination of King Moshulu III, and so now that is a, a part of it. And then I get to change one of these parameters, and the storyteller now has kind of three dots of tension that they can spend or whatever anti-momentum mechanic they want to use, or are you picturing something else? I am was picturing very much like the engagement pool, like you sort of described previously, where like, okay, so you start with three dice, because that's as low as we should go. Okay. I don't think you want to go any lower than that. You hit, you hit feels bad, generates nothing, we got nowhere. Yeah. And right. What, you, what we don't want here is a null state, mm -hmm. right? We want either a failure that is interesting, where, like, the fail state is, well, you have to go do it, no questions asked, right? And if you fuck, we know players are going to fuck around anyway. So then, like, maybe you bank those botches as swords of Damocles, right? Mm -hmm. Like, someone knows you were fucking around. It's going to damage your reputation. It's going to, someone, they're going to send someone to make sure you're doing your job, whatever, right? Like, have in mind what failure means that doesn't hit a null state. And then we have a list of, like, here are things that are set that we like leading questions that add dice to our pool to a maximum of 10 so we can check off potentially seven of these mm -hmm. right we're probably not going to go there but we're going to say that 10 is the highest the pool can go because we you, when you're doing things like this you need to have a minimum you need to have a maximum and they you need to understand where dice are going to go in that range right so we have a bunch like i would say make a list of 10 potential things including some fill in the blank stuff like you talked about uh, where you're like, things that you can't predict what are going to happen in people's games, right? Like, this person previously saved another NPC, and so you may, that gives you status with them or something like that. Or, like, maybe you want to take people's backgrounds into consideration as well. Like, oh, do you have a contact with this person? Is the Mr. Johnson your ally? Right? Like, do you have retainers who have been helping with your social favor? All that other shit, right? I, World of Darkness loves its backgrounds and its merits. Just to clarify, <laughs> are these things that have to already exist or are you allowing for the spontaneous world building where up until this moment, I didn't have a connection to this character, but now I do? I would say that if the spontaneous connection fits merits or backgrounds, sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or previous story, sure. If someone is just like, oh, Mr. Johnson is my brother with nothing to back it up, I think you are fully right to be like, no. Or please explain. What do you think about <laughs> allowing that and now the storyteller gets a pocket uh, complication to bust out? Do you like that? I'm or fan of that too. Oh, I okay. love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I would have an equal number of things that can go wrong so that you're looking at a push pool that'll get the dice pool between, I would say, five and six being a reasonable number for World of Darkness. Okay. So something like, here are the 10 things that can add to the pool. Here are the 10 things that can detract from it. You can spontaneously add any two to the narrative. Mm-hmm. But at the cost of the storyteller essentially getting what I'm going to call a GM intrusion, they have the ability to, at a part that they find narratively interesting, either introduce a complication, lowercase c, based on that, which I mean, they can do anyway, they're the storyteller, or do some dice fudging, like they have the ability to turn one success into a failure or something like that throughout the course of this directive. We assemble our dice pool, we roll our directive pool, and then the trick is to avoid the scenario where it just always makes sense to max this out. So we either need detractions that kind of scale, or we say something that says, to be able to make modifications, you have a, a difficulty of two. You need to get at least two successes. For each success beyond that, you get to change one of these par parameters by one tick. You get more time. You're allowed to be more obvious. You get more tools. You don't have to kill the guy. 
whatever. But for each success you come up short, we have these complications that we will add. As you mentioned, you're going to be monitored during it. Friend computer is going to reach out to you to see how things are going. (laughs) Or I think that's the part where I would need to come up with other interesting complications where you have the condition of being on thin ice, where if you fail at this, the punishment for it or consequences is going to be greater or it influences your next directive role or something like that. I would not tie players being punished by the organization for fucking up an engagement role. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Yeah, I would do I would save that for like that is handing a player a ticket to they rebel. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, that's world uh, of darkness. Nothing though. nothing will make a player like kick not buy in faster than being screwed over over a bad role. Well, right? right. Yeah. I mean it's it's about what kind of punishment you're punishment, quote unquote, you're getting from the dice roll. Like if you make a choice to take an action that's going to get you punished by your organization, that makes total sense, mm-hmm. right? And even if it's an, if one of those impossible choices where it's like, I really only had this one choice and I'm now I'm going to get in trouble, like that's fine. That's the world of darkness. But if it's like, oh, you failed, like your dice didn't roll very well and now you're hunted by your organization for sucking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sucks. It sucks. So as a note, Danielle worked on Technocracy Reloaded. One of the things in that, you have degrees, you have levels of suspicion, and then you have levels of tools. So I would not have you're hunted by your organization, but the next time someone challenges your loyalty, they are now in an approved position to do that. It would not be directly, oh, you failed this role. The wild hunt is after you. You have been declared anathema. <laughs> They're going to come from Exalted to kill your mate. I think that would be pretty great. And as... <laughs> See the last. That would be a lot of trouble for the mage. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) But so we have that. We have the world building questions. Once that is launched into into um, into the game, is there a bookkeeping thing that you think goes with that at all, or is it just one engagement roll for the directive? We see how the mission goes. I think it's worthwhile to have this basically be the the start. Okay. Like a a mission start, Mm -hmm. and then maybe do it again depending on how that goes. Because like like D said, you want the bad things happening, like your world of darkness, bad shit happens, to come from player choice. And if the engagement set like the questions and leading things and what the role results leads people to make those bad choices, like carrots them into it, great. Mm-hmm. Do you think people should be able to buy additional dice on the engagement role in exchange for complications? Sure. For instance, someone can go the other way, that they have even less time to do it. And they're like, hey, if you let me if you let me borrow the Spectre limousine, which is the cool pimped out technocracy limousine that has like a satellite dish in it and gets all the pay-per-view channels and also is resistant against nuclear blasts. You can do that, <laughs> but you go from a week to only having 48 hours. Or it's something like double or nothing. Get two additional dice on the engagement roll. But if you fail, none of you get paid. Not on that roll, but if you fail the mission. Right, right. Right. I like the idea of here's your choice. You can play the minigame, right? You can do the questions. Yeah. You can see, you can gamble to see how many dice you're going to get in and out of this pool. Or you can just say, give me five dice. That would be base three plus two, right? We're going to take the base five dice, see what advantages we get from rolling it, but we will accept a devil's bargain, right? We get the nuke-proof car. But Mr. Johnson has to ride in the backseat, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. your your retainer will be there the whole time. Someone's going to keep an eye on you. You will receive mysterious calls on burner phones about what you're up to, yeah. right? Because like, you- then you give people literally the option to go, yeah, I want that tension. I want to maybe kill Mr. Johnson in the alley, right? Okay. Like, yeah, sure, we'll say yes. We'll kill our handler what could possibly go wrong, <laughs> right? You want to, you want people to make those bad choices, right? Like, that's kind of the point. You want to bait them into doing it. You want people to to buy in. You want them to be like, oh, yeah, of course, I'll well, I'll call it my vampire buddy. We'll get him to dispose of the body. It'll be fine. Nothing could possibly go wrong. And I also feel like nothing could possibly go wrong is very mage. Yeah. yeah I see. <laughs> I very much see both sides of it here. Now, is that Devil's Bargain? So to explain what Monica's talking about, a number of games have a Devil's Bargain mechanic, which basically says you will get a guaranteed success or you will get a boost on this die, but you and the storyteller agree to some sort of complication that's going to come out the other end. And they kind of break up into two categories. One, the storyteller gets to keep it in their back pocket, or two, you agree to it ahead of time. And I think the agree to it ahead of time is kind of the one I am most used to. 
seeing yeah. uh, just from Blades in the Dark. Is that the way you see it where you say, hey, we've run through this activity. We have one die and we need two successes. Let's take a devil's bargain. And the devil's bargain is basically either you succeed in this mission. You, you get these five dice, you succeed. We've been given this seemingly impossible mission. We need two successes on this engagement role, we think, to make it plausible. We take the devil's bargain, which is basically if you don't succeed in this mission, you're getting relocated off world. You're going to spend some quality time around the moons of Jupiter fighting off the Marauders. Or <laughs> do you see the Devil's Bargain as being not necessarily even tied to your status within that organization? That's contextual. Like one of your allies will betray you. Could be a non sequitur. It has nothing yeah. to do with that engagement role. Do you have a preference? Highly contextual. Okay. Yeah, like that, what I choose for a Devil's Bargain or what I would present as a storyteller depends entirely on what's happening in the game. Yeah. The reason I have this running around in the back of my head is one of the defining features of the old world of darkness is there are no player mechanics. Everything is kind of a character mechanic, like everything in some way is distilled into something that is happening in the world. And I think this applies to a lot of the other D10 systems prior to story path. I think the two singular exceptions are the nemesis system in mage Victorian age and the lore mechanic in Exalted. That's neither here nor there. I have this artificial sense that I want to try and keep character mechanics to be character mechanics and player mechanics to be player mechanics. So that's kind of why I asked that that framing question. But I, I like the Devil's Bargain alternative as a thing where it's like uh, five dice. Do you think this is something where the target number should be a fixed value? Or do you think it's one of those things where you can both change the difficulty of the die roll as well as the target number? For simplicity, do we just say everything's against six, a difficulty of six? I would probably do that. Okay. And then if people have merits or yeah. spells, or I almost said charms because of course I did. Uh, uh, of course, I mean. <laughs> hey, if you're playing a sidereal in my mage game, you are more than welcome to change the target number. You have my permission. Sure. If if, if someone has a, an effect that would apply to the situation of the engagement role, or if you're writing a new merit that does that, mm -hmm. then yeah, I would let those things apply. But otherwise I would have that be fixed at a fixed difficulty. Okay. Yeah. I feel like we didn't really answer your question. <laughs> but I mean we did and we didn't like there's still so many options to use for that kind of situation do did we create a mini game for you I think we did. We created the engagement okay. mini role. So so my summary is the way this starts is the storyteller is like, hey, we're going to do a directive. What's well, a directive? Well, it's a system by which a group can negotiate what an actual mission is going to look like. This represents the give and take of the powerful individuals within a hierarchical organization. The way it works is I outline a number of parameters. Some of them are going to be very difficult. Some of them are not. You have the ability to push back against that by building this engagement role pool. You can either use that to change the parameters of it or to get boosts during the course of the mission. So if you get a whole bunch of parameters and all of them are perfectly fine, you're like, we could do this. You can still do the engagement role and that results in you getting more loot at the end, uh, more time off, resources towards a personal project, better equipment than what you already have. Essentially what the requisition system already exists for the technocracy. Right, right. You assemble your pool, your role. If you get the, the number of successes that you want, you get some cool things. If you don't, there's a certain number of complications that are going to pop up over the course of the mission that we're going to kind of agree to ahead of time. Mixed in there are two or three gimme world building exercises where you can say, I'm going to spontaneously add this to the game world and introduce this as a fact to my character, but I can only do it twice or alternatively doing so gives the storyteller this point of tension that they can use to complicate things later on. If it looks like we're facing overwhelming odds, we have the opportunity to void this, take on a devil's bargain and always get five dice to roll with. Right. That is my summary of the system that you have come yeah, up with. I, I think that's uh, I think that's a good a good summary. Yeah. It was a good discussion. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like I think we did sort of answer the question yeah, in yeah. the usual like ADHD way. Right, yeah, okay. right. <laughs> All right, BXP is brought to you by the Misdirected Mark Network. I'm waiting for one of the two of you to say bing. Or both of you to say <laughs> yes. <laughs> Terry, Terry overlap it so both of you are saying <laughs> yeah. at the same time. Become a BXP patron. Patrons get an extended cup of every extended cup. 
an extended cut of every episode episodes early and a special place to hang out on our discord and you can support us for as little as one crisp american dollar a month um and if you would rather support bonus experience without patreon you can just go to our coffee ko-fi.com slash bonus expcast or buy any of our stuff that is on bxpcast.com slash bxp swag we have a merch page but don't forget that bxp is also sponsored by nerdy keppy and you can get all kinds of rad queer swag including some exclusive bxp shirts including a shirt that just says margaret on it and a shirt that says dime out about it they're awesome you should get one um remember to use code bxpcast to check out for 10 percent off it never expires and it applies to anything you don't just have to buy our stuff so if you want a pair of those extremely cool boots that they sell you can use it for that and we appreciate it also remember that saying nice things is always free so you just leave us a good review on apple podcasts podbean google spotify stitcher youtube we're on youtube now uh, and help us get more listeners also just look for bonus experience podcast on youtube we are in the process of putting all of our back catalog up there and we have closed captions turned on on all the videos so if you're hard of hearing now you can finally enjoy bxp and if you like bonus experience you will also like pandas talking games queer gamers talking about tabletop role-playing games and making outtakes join pandas phil and senda every wednesday answering listener questions about playing running and designing ttrpgs get cozy and let's talk about some games oh okay and if you want to hear more of me elsewhere i am also a sometimes guest of the eternal Mooncast, where i talk about my other special interest sailor moon and that can be found at eternalmooncast.com as well as the systematic understanding of everything which i also do did with terry I guess that's over um, now, sort of, well, <laughs> uh, at, exalt, at exaltcast.com. Did Girl by Moonlight ever come out, or is that still in development? That's still in development. What? That was the what? evil hat, Blades in the Dark, Magical Girls game. It is. It is still uh, in development. Yeah. Come on, Sean Nittner, get around to it. Final draft complete, playtesting complete, revision complete, layout complete, indexing complete, proofread complete, art order through October 2020. 22, which means this hasn't been updated in a while. Yeah. More info here. So, D, thank you so much for joining us and uh, lending your mechanical and design heft to sure. what we do that. And I say that figuratively. I've never actually... No, I have met you in person. Uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> if I was going to say, you make it sound like I'm hefty. That's what I was trying I, to avoid. I, uh, which I am, heft. so it's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, Danielle, if we're interested in anything else you're working on, where can we find out about that? You can check out my sorely unupdated website at daniellozon.com. I keep mentioning it. I've been on so many podcasts recently. I really need to update it. Like, I just need to spend a day, like, adding things to it. I also hang out in some different discords. No, none of... I, I think I have your Discord. I, I don't remember. That's, <laughs> I spent so much time so parasailing with movie stars that I just can't keep track of it. <laughs> yes, uh, Danielle L is is currently green. Here it is, Mage of the Podcast. Mm-hmm. I see it. I like the idea that diegetically, if you want to ask Danielle a question, you are going to have to make an engagement roll. So yeah, if you would like much. to address her her eminence directly, there's a die pool <laughs> you're going to need to build to do that. We'll have a dice bot yeah. take care of that. And Monica, you mentioned where bonus experience can be found. Where can we find you in a almost where in the world is Carmen Sandiego like fashion <laughs> anyway uh, that was supposed to be the beginning of that song it was not very good um, it was my apologies surprisingly good show yes it was I am currently only on tumblr at dice-wizard.tumblr.com which well, I mostly just reblog art so if that's what you're into follow me there I'm f- still figuring out what other social media site to go to after Twitter's slow and crumbling demise. I'm sure we'll figure it out eventually, but you can always talk to me. I'm on the Bonus Experience Discord. Theoretically, I'm also in the Mage the Podcast Discord, but like D, I don't check it very often, so um, don't look for me there. Uh, do look for me on the BXP Discord, though. That is a public Discord. You please come hang out. I will happily talk to you there. You can also find me bumming around on the Onyx, official Onyx Path Discord, as well as the unofficial Exalted Fan Discord, where I am pretty active, but only in the Exalted Essence channel. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Same, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, likewise with the official Onyx Path Discord, I'm only in the Mage channel. I just feel like Zoro that someone is like, I have a question about the Akashiana. And then like I appear, give the answer and then disappear back into the night. <laughs> having like drawn mates the podcast on their shirt with the uh the end of my sword or something like that but yeah that i <laughs> that, that i understand monica d thank you so much for joining you're welcome